The Story of Annie Oakley Chapter 8 Runaway A week later, the wolves went to spend a day with relatives. They left Annie a huge basket of clothes to iron. When they said they would be gone all day, a flush of excitement swept through her. She hoped they didn't notice her cheeks turn red. Before they left, she started ironing hard. Mr. Wolf brought the buggy to the door. As Mrs. Wolf went out, she turned to Annie and said, See, those clothes are all finished when we get back. Annie said nothing. She kept on ironing without looking up, for fear Mrs. Wolf would read her purpose in her eyes. The horse's hoofbeats faded down the road. Annie looked out the window and watched the buggy disappear. Then she turned back to her ironing. Suppose the wolves had forgotten something and should come back. She forced herself to iron for half an hour. Then she put the iron on the back of the stove and turned down the drafts. She was sure that this was the time to go. She might not have another chance for months. Her legs shaking, she climbed the steep stairs. Quickly, she tied her few things in a bundle. She crept downstairs, opened the door, and stepped outside. The garden and the animals were there as usual, but how different Annie felt. For a minute, she stood, she stood still, wondering about her bundle. Someone seeing it might know she was running away and stop her, but she couldn't afford to leave it. She grasped it tightly and started walking towards the village. She had a strange feeling that someone was following her. She wanted to run, but she told herself to stay calm. She had almost reached the railroad station when someone called, Stop! Annie! Where are you going? Annie stiffened in fear. Then she smiled. The voice belonged to Kate Darrell, a girl who had shared her lunch with Annie at school. I'm going home, Annie told her excitedly. I'm running away. Really? Kate asked, wide-eyed. Aren't you scared? I'm scared stiff, Annie said. I'm glad you're going, Kate said. Kate, Annie. It was Kate's mother calling from the porch. When Annie told her what she was doing, Mrs. Darrell said, It's the best thing, Annie. People have been worried about you. But no one dared interfere. She put up a lunch for Annie and gave her train fare. Then she and Kate walked with Annie to the station. They stood on the platform and waved goodbye as the train moved off. Annie sat down beside a kindly-looking old gentleman, who saw at once that she was frightened. Reaching into his carpet bag, he brought out a striped stick of candy and gave it to Annie. Thanks, she said, with a quick smile. Annie was starved for sweets. She ate some of the candy. Where do you live? the old man asked. Near Woodland, Annie told him. You'll have to get off at dawn, won't you? and walk quite away. And how old are you? Twelve. The old gentleman shook his head. He wondered why so young a girl was traveling alone. He seemed so kind that Annie told him just what she was doing and why. I hope my mother won't be angry, she said. I'm sure she won't. It's too bad you couldn't have gotten away sooner. I don't believe your mother ever got any of your messages or had any idea what the place was like. It was late afternoon when Annie got off the train at dawn and started for home. 
It was dark when she reached Dan Brahma's house. Annie pushed open the door. The woman who turned from her dishes was not her mother, but Annie knew her as a Mrs. Clark. Mrs. Clark looked startled when she saw who was standing on her doorstep. Annie Moses, she exclaimed. Where did you do- Where did you drop from? Annie explained as quickly as she could. Why, you poor child, the woman said. No need for you to walk all that way home in the dark. You just come in and spend the night here. Anxious as Annie was to get home, she was tired and glad enough to accept the invitation. Mrs. Clark told her news that her mother no doubt had written her long ago, but that the wolves had kept from her. Dan Brahma had never recovered from his injuries. He had been dead for over a year. Annie's mother was married again to a much older man, a Mr. Shaw. Annie's older sisters had all married and moved away. The Clarks had bought the Brahma place. Annie sank to sleep that night in a bed that was blissfully comfortable. Next morning, she thanked Mrs. Clark for the night's lodging. I'm glad of the chance to do something for one of your mother's children, Mrs. Clark told her. She's done plenty for me. It was ten miles to Mr. Shaw's farm. Annie made the dust fly. When she came into the yard, her mother was hanging out clothes. She didn't see Annie until Annie called, Mother! Then she turned. Annie, she said almost unbelievingly, and rushed to gather the girl in her arms. At last she held her daughter off at arm's length. Thou hast grown up, Annie, she said, and thou art so thin. Have they treated thee badly? Annie nodded. Tears were streaming down her cheeks. She brushed them away hastily. They were cruel, she said, and they lied to me. But it doesn't matter now, now that I'm home. Then there was a clatter of hooves. The younger children came riding into the yard. John was on a smoky colt. Emily had a real riding horse, and Hulda was on a fat young heifer. Annie! Annie! they cried. Jumping from their mounts, they surrounded their older sister, and all began asking questions at once. Annie had to have all the news. The three animals were gifts from Grandpa Shaw, as they called him. Annie missed Dan Brahma. He had been a good stepfather. But when Grandpa Shaw got home that night, Annie knew she would like him too. He was a quiet old man, tall, thin, with a stringy, droopy mustache. His eyes were not very strong, but he was kind and gentle. Annie, I'm glad you're back, he said warmly. We've worried about you. When Annie told him her story, he was terribly angry. Next morning, he set out to try to get the wolves arrested, but there were few laws then to protect children. There was nothing he could do. Grandpa Shaw had been well off, but he had lost his farm and most of his money. When Annie got back, the family was about to move again. Grandpa put what little money he had left into a piece of land near the village of North Star. Friends and neighbors pitched in to help build a log cabin. Annie's sister Lida and her husband Joe Stein came out from Cincinnati to be in the fun. Joe was a carpenter and a great help in building the cabin. Once again, Annie had a new home, but there was 
$300 mortgage on it that would have to be paid. Everyone would have to pitch in to work. It looked as though Annie still would have to put off going to school. Chapter 9 A Letter from Lida It was a beautiful morning and Annie let the barefooted roan horse make his own pace. Elderberries were ripe along the roadside their purple overlaid with dust from the passing wagon wheels. Sweet-smelling fox grapes climbed high into the trees. Lazy, winding creeks showed good spots for muskrat traps. Farmers were busy getting the last of their corn crops and wild apples were dropping along the crooked fence rows. Annie had spent a wonderful summer hunting, eating, soaking up sunshine. In spite of the exercise she got roaming the woods of dark of Drake County, she had put on weight. This fall morning she felt full of life and very happy. She lovingly touched the gun hung across the front of her shoulder. It had served her well. Annie shifted the basket of game she had slung across her shoulder. The roan pricked up its ears and looked down the road towards the curved ahead. As they rounded it, a strange figure stepped from a dark walnut grove into the road. He was tall and gangly, dressed in deer hide clothes and a coonskin cap. He led a horse as lean and bony as himself. The horse was piled high with a bale of pelts lashed to the saddle. Pelts are skins of animals. Annie knew who the man was, old Coonskin Brown. He lived by himself somewhere in the back country and came to town when he got enough skins to trade. Hi, Mr. Brown, Annie said as she caught up with him. Coonskin squinted up at her from under his shaggy eyebrows. Bein't you one of the Moses girls? he asked. Yes, sir, Annie said respectfully, though she could smell the old trapper a mile off. She slid off the roan and walked beside him. That's right, he remembered. You're the little one, Annie, ain't it? Yes, sir. How's trapping? Not like it used to be. I get a few skins. Do you make much money, Annie asked. Not so's to get rich, young'un. I eats and I keep myself in tobacco. That's all Annie could get out of the old man about his business. There were rumors that he had sacks of money hidden away, but he certainly didn't look it. Coonskin began asking the questions. Going shopping in Greenville? Got to get Grandpa's horse shod before fall plowing and get my gun fixed, Annie told him. Did it give out on you? Coonskin drawled. It just needs a new spring. When Frenchy Lamotte put one in, It'll be good as new. Frenchy's a good gunsmith. They were entering the outskirts of Greenville. The train for Cincinnati was puffing out of the station. Its wood-burning engine was spewing clouds of smoke from the wide mouth stack. Greenville was an old town as frontier towns went. Before the revolution, it had been a fort and the scene of a fierce Indian fighting. Then, for a hundred years, it had been a sleepy backwoods village. Now it was growing fast. The coming of Dayton and Union Railroad had brought trade and settlers. As Annie and Coonskin Brown rode down Broadway, 
They passed ox teams hauling long timber to a sawmill. Farmers coming in with their fall wheat for the new flour mills. Saddle horses and buggies were lined up in front of the new courthouse and Fitz Tavern. Charlie Katzenberger's wagon was picking up a load of supplies at the station for his general store. Annie left her gun with Frenchy Lamont, the gunsmith and fur trader. She parted from Coonskin Brown there and rode on to Will Pearson's blacksmith shop. She loved to watch the blacksmith work. Will tied her roan to a ring. He took a horseshoe and a pair of tongs and thrust it onto hot coals in the square brick forge. Then he went to the huge bellows that was stuck into the chimney. Bellows are something that blows air onto the fire to make it glow and burn. Then he went to the huge bellows that stuck into the chimney. It took a strong man to work it, and Will was strong. He pushed the great handles back and forth. The coals in the forge glowed brightly. When the shoe was cherry red, Will took it out. The hammer clanged on the anvil, and the sparks flew as he held the shoe in his tongs and shaped it to fit. He plunged it into a tub of water that hissed and steamed. As Will tried the shoe on the roan, the smell of scorched hoof wrinkled Annie's nose. Hoof is something like a fingernail to us. It doesn't hurt the horse if you put something hot on it. It all fascinated the girl, the big ox sling in the corner where they shod oxen, the huge wagon wheels waiting to be retired, the tools and shoes, the bare irons, that lined the walls, the mixed smells of horses, cinders, leather, and hot metal. The open back door looked out onto a wide, swampy meadow, deep with rank grass. On the far side, Annie saw a big buck feeding. She pointed it out to him. Too bad you haven't got your gun, he said. Left it at Frenchie's, she told him. Besides, I'd rather watch that deer than kill it. Will painted the roan's hooves with neat's foot oil as a finishing touch. Is it all right if I pay you with game? Annie asked. Sure, game's a treat to me. Don't get a chance to hunt myself. Annie reached into her basket and brought out a plump partridge, neatly wrapped in wet swamp grass to keep it fresh. That's a nice one, Annie, Will told her. You ought to be able to make money selling birds like that. Who'd buy them? Annie asked. Dunno. Must be someone. Annie led the roan over to Frenchie Lamotte's and tied him outside. Frenchie had a short red beard and dark darting eyes. He was a restless man, a talker. His hands were always moving. Gun shells, traps, saddles, lanterns, axes, anything a trapper could use lined his walls and shelves. His gunsmith's bench, vice, and tools were under a window. In the back were piles of furs. The wood stove in a corner would glow a comforting red when cold weather came. Charlie Katzenberger, who owned the general store, was talking to Frenchie when Annie came in. He was tall, heavy, light-haired, with twinkling blue eyes. Charlie, you know any moseys? 
She's little, but she's a good hunter. Friendly Charlie Katzenberger put out his hand. Glad to meet you, Annie, he said. Annie's hand was lost in the shopkeeper's big one as she said, Hello, Mr. Katzenberger. Frenchie passed Annie her gun. She tried the hammer. It had a strong snap. Annie leaned the rifle against the counter. She took a big quail from the basket. It was fat with good fall feeding. Can I pay you with this? She asked as she passed it to the, ga to the gunsmith. It's better than money, Frenchie said. With his quick movement, he unwrapped the bird from the swamp grass and thrust it towards Charlie Katzenberger. Look, he said, it shot right through the head. Annie Moses never misses. Katzenberger took the bird in his hand, turned it over. Nice, he said. He looked at Annie. Can you get many like this? Quite a few, Annie told him. Do you know that the big hotel in Cincinnati will pay extra for birds shot through the head? People don't break their teeth biting down on bird shot. They like their birds. Would you want to hunt for me? I can sell everything you'll bring in. Annie was excited. I'd love to. I like to hunt. I can get all kinds of game besides quail. Rabbit, partridges, turkeys and pigeons. It's a deal then. Katzenberger put out his big hand again and they shook on it. Frenchie was beaming. Good, this is fine. You may have shells, traps, Annie. Anything you want, you can charge till you get started. A new gun, maybe even. Annie's eyes were shiny with happiness. The September evening was cool as she rode home, thinking of her wonderful project. The stars came out white and frosty. The harvest smells that had been so warm and sweet in the morning sun now had a tang to them. From then on, Annie spent most of her time hunting. It was ideal country for birds, thick woods, cornfields, pastures, brushy fence rows, feed and shelter suited too many kinds of game. Almost the whole year round, there was something fit for market. They'll never get school in this way. It worries me, Annie, her mother would say. But Grandpa Shaw was gradually losing his sight. Soon he wouldn't be able to earn any money at all. Annie felt that she had to go on working. And though she wanted to get some education, she really enjoyed what she was doing. Mr. Katzenberger arranged for all her game to be sold to a man named Jack Frost. He ran a hotel in Cincinnati, where many actors and other people in the theater stayed. Annie sent her game into Greenville with the mail, and it went 80 miles by rail from there to the big city. To make her work more interesting, Annie practiced all kinds of trick shooting. When a bird rose drumming from a brush pile, she would whirl around before pulling the trigger. She would give the birds every possible chance to escape, and still she didn't miss. She would try the most difficult wing shots she, would, she could invent. She would take a run, a skip, and a jump. In short, do everything but stand on her head. But still, she brought down the birds. Her skill with a gun became known around the county. Sometimes she would enter a local shooting contest, and she always won. All her money she turned over to her mother. All the hard times Annie had been through had made her old for her age. 
She understood the value of money, and all her life she never liked to see it wasted. Slowly the mortgage on the farm was paid, until last it was all clear. Annie, what would I ever do without thee? her mother often asked. By the time Annie was fifteen, the younger children could be of more help, and Annie began to think seriously about her future. One day a letter arrived from Cincinnati. It was from Lida. It was addressed to Annie, and was the first letter she had ever had from her sister. But she couldn't read it. There was a catch in her throat as she said, Read it to me, Mama. Her mother slid the envelope and began, Dear Annie, Joe and I have been talking it over, and we want you to come and live with us here in the city. You have done more than your share in taking care of the family. We think it is time you did something for yourself. If you are fifteen and you have hardly been to school at all, you can't spend all your life walking around the woods with a gun on your shoulder. You will get like old coonskin brown. Annie's mother chuckled, and Annie burst out laughing. Mrs. Shaw went on. There are many things a girl like you can do in a place like this. Learn to play the piano, perhaps, or to do fancy sewing. You can meet all kinds of interesting people and learn how to behave socially. My, my, Annie mocked. How Lida has come on. Annie, I have always had a feeling about you, that there was something to you beyond the rest of us. Everything you do has more life to it. Like making paper dolls when we were little, for instance, yours always seemed more alive. Please come. I am sure that you will be glad all your life. I know you love the country and the woods and hunting, all that. But, Annie, you were meant for bigger things. Have Mother write when you are coming, and we will meet the train. Love, Lida. Annie sat down with a lump in her throat. A sudden wave of homesickness had come over her. I don't want to leave you and the other children and Grandpa Shaw. This is my home and I love it here. I like the country. I don't want to live in the city all cooped up. I'd be miserable. Grandpa Shaw had come in from putting the horses away. He had been listening in the doorway. We don't want you to go any more than you want to, Annie, he said. "'but it's the best thing for you.' "'Grandpa had once lived in Cincinnati himself. "'He began to tell of all the wonders there, "'the theaters, the fine white pedal-wheel steamers, "'the horse cars, the music, "'all the fine people she would meet. "'And shooting clubs, Annie. "'There's a lot of them. "'The town is full of German, and they love to shoot. "'Thee can always come home, Annie,' her mother said. This will always be thy home to come back to, but never to hold thee down. When John and Hulda and Emily came in from school, they whooped with joy at the news. They knew it would make more work for them since they would have to do their sister's chores, but they were glad for Annie, and some day it would be their turn to go to the city. That night Annie went out to say goodbye to the roan horse. Afterward, she stood by the stable, breathing in the pleasant farm smells. The full harvest moon shone over the rows of corn in the field. A cowbell tinkled in the pasture. A flurry of breeze sent red leaves swirling from a swamp. Off in the woods, a fox barked. 
From far away came the crack of a rifle. Someone was hunting in the moonlight. Annie went in and climbed into bed, but it was a long time before she went to sleep.